Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. In my experience, the more space that I leave for synchronicities, the, the, the more profound some of the ideas I can work with become. It's almost like working with, um, with a cloud computer rather than a local hard drive because you're basically offboarding some of your thinking into whatever is working around you in the universe. So let's say that that is total randomness and that there's no intelligence at all. When you're pulling out a card, then exactly as you said, going through the process of having to define what is the question that you want to ask and being confronted with something that is usually not the answer you want to see is going to help you arrive to that third thing that is probably going to be a meaningful idea That is going to serve your purposes because at a minimum, our minds are meaning-making machines. All right, look up listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Look Up Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Weinstein, and as always, starting off with a huge shout out to all of you uh, who just by listening make this show what it is. Thank you so much. It's just such an honor and privilege to bring, bring you new episodes every week. And with that, we'll dive into this week's episode. So a few weeks back, I was reading some messages in a group that I'm a part of, which helps to boost each other's LinkedIn post reach. Ironically, some of the benefits of understanding social media is you can manipulate the algorithms. And I connected with an individual in that group who is named Will Cady. And Will, as it turns out, is the head of creative strategy at Reddit. And for those of you that are not familiar with Reddit, it is an American social news and aggregation web content rating and discussion website. I mean, it's a massive platform. It's 17th most visited website in the world um, and seventh most in, most in the US. And Will had posted something on LinkedIn about uh, this subreddit called Randonautica. And Randonautica will explain in the episode, but it's basically this serendipity machine, this community of 150,000 people that set an intention and then are directed to a location at random by a random number generator to identify and feel into um, how that place that they're directed to uh, fits in with this intention that they set. And so it's kind of this bridge between randomness, intention, and meaning. And we chat about that. And of course, I mean, the conversation just goes like into the stratosphere. We talk about a ton of different things. Will's father was a Zen practitioner, um, specifically Rinzai Zen. Uh, And so Will has been kind of fathered into that practice. And you can tell that he does uh, a ton of self-work. We talk about Rinzai Zen and identity. We talk about Will's role kind of bridging the advertising and content marketing world and speaking to executives at large companies, um, telecoms, for example, that are, you know, positioning themselves for readers with kind of these integral, deeper, um, archetypal narratives that Will is is deeply connected to. And we speak about the role that mysticism has in a modern context and how algorithms come into play and the idea of Reddit as a river for memes and people go fishing for those memes and and then, of course, we talk about social media and, and you know, the removal of hate speech on Reddit and whether or not that is a slippery slope. And we finally close with mental health and Project Healthy Minds, which if there's one thing to take away from this episode, it is check out Project Healthy Minds. This is a nonprofit confronting the mental health crisis around the world. And Will is, I believe, on the board, if not at least a supporter, an active participant. So... That's enough for me. I mean, you'll get to hear it all on this one, but as always, just so, so grateful to Will for coming on the show and all the incredible guests that I've had on in the past. I mean, it's just such an incredible journey for learning and growth. And I hope that all of you are as thrilled as I am to be hearing such wonderful insights from all of these great guests. All right. Without 
Anything else from me? This is Will Katie. Will, thank you so much for coming on the Look Up podcast. It's, yeah. Uh, I'm super excited about this one. We've got a bunch of ground to cover and uh, just an hour to do it. So I think we're going to dive right in. Let's do it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to to begin this conversation, see where it goes. Absolutely. So I think I want to start with with Randonauting because that was the, the original... Um, reason why I reached out to you, you posted on LinkedIn about this new subreddit page called Randonauting. And uh, I just would love for you to kind of explain what that subreddit page is and why why you got so excited about it. Yeah, that's a, as good a place to start as any, right? I mean, it's it's really playing with the idea of randomness and experience at its core. So from the level of what interests me from a Reddit standpoint is that this is a community that from the beginning came with an app developed to support the experience of being a part of it. And I hadn't really seen that too much before where you've basically got these developers that are from day one creating both a community and an, an app-based experience that can bring that community together. But then behind that, what randonauting is, is incredibly interesting. And um, I think that what, what drew me to that as a person is this idea that there is life according to what comes through our screens and there is life according to what happens when we step out into it. And randonauting, for those listening that don't know what it is, it's basically this app that uses your GPS and effectively uh, what they say is a quantum random number generator to give you a random coordinate to just go to and see if what you find there matches the intentions that you put into the searching process. So it's, um, it's a very, very challenging kind of mystical prompt that opens up your apertures of observation and experiencing the world. So it's, it's a very, very special thing in that it, it, it shows how technology can assist a richer experience in the world rather than distract or detract from our experiences in the world. And, and I loved seeing that catch on Reddit the way that it has. And I mean, do you have the numbers on, on the randonauting page? I don't know uh, how many people are using this, but I'd be curious. And we can also pull it up uh, after the show as well, and I can put it in the notes, but it's... Um... Yeah. So currently there's just under 150,000 members on that community, wow. which is pretty substantial. Yeah, it's enough to a... have a, a deep culture. Absolutely. It's so cool. And I guess, um, well, one thing that comes to mind when I, when I, or came to mind when I first saw Randonaut was, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy <laughs> yeah. and, uh, the answer to the question of, of kind of the universal question, which is 42, I think it, 42. <laughs> exactly 42. And, um, and it's so cool to tie in these, these deep questions of like, of meaning and intention, as you said, with, randomness and to see where there's there's an overlap. I guess I wanted to ask what are what are one or two examples of um interesting synchronicities that have played out over, you know, through that randonauting group. I know that a few articles on it have have uh, revealed some fascinating uh encounters. Yeah, you know, as it relates to 42, I just want to jump back into that really quick because yes. what's what's so genius about about that and, and the way that all of that is is written um is that I think it took like something like hundreds of years or generations for this supercomputer to come up with the answer to the great question and just spat out 42 and then everybody was was confused in the story and then the computer basically says well you didn't define what the question is so now you have to go back and figure out what is the great question that you want to ask and i think that that's so brilliant because especially <laughs> as it comes to things like randonaut or seeking synchronicities or 
strategy and marketing, 90% of the work is figuring out the right question to ask more than what the answer is. So on, on the randonauting community, the ones that I've, I've found that have been really special are a lot of times, you know, people have uh, an inner language for a friendship or a family member with, with somebody that has maybe, you know, passed away. And when they go to some of these places with that intention of, of seeking them, they'll find something that only means something to them and to that person who has passed. Um, so I think that that's a perfect example of something that sits right at the balance point between a phenomenon that maybe would give people more belief and a phenomenon that can be logically explained by, you know, just people seeing what they want in the world. And I think that it's, it's so important to sit with this idea of, of where do these synchronistic experiences come from? They come from what we want to see. And to me, that's enough for meaning is to realize that my eyes, my ears, my nose, my mouth, all of this filters the world around me and creates a story that I need to see because that puts me both in control and not in control, but at least in control of the, uh, the narrative. I love that. I love what you just said. And, um, it actually ties into another interesting element of your, your profile and your background that I wanted to dive into. Uh, you know, I actually pull, I, I consider myself to be like a highly rational person, but my girlfriend often says that I'm, I'm quite superstitious as well. And I often pull from a deck of animal spirit tarot cards, tarot, mm -hmm. tarot cards. And I love this experience um, because I often find that the reading of the card, uh, if I'll ask a question of like, what energy do I need to pull in right now? What animal spirit or, or, you know, what, you know, what is coming my way or whatever the question might be it always seems like there's a match from the card that I pull. And of course, a lot of people would believe that there's some kind of energy being transmuted to the deck through me that maybe we don't know. But over time, I've kind of developed my own theory around it. And it's, it's the idea that simply asking the question and, and reflecting on that question um, is enough. And whatever card comes out, we're framing it. Uh, I'm framing it within this question. And so it's giving me an, a response that's meaningful to me, you know, regardless of what the card is, it could be the vulture card. It could be, you know, a turtle or the golden egg or whatever, mm -hmm. but it often, because I'm seeking, it gives me something of value. And that value is even just reflection. Uh, and so I wanted to, I wanted to share that uh, because I also noted that uh, you have you have personal experience with uh, with tarot card reading and you've thought deeply about the the resurgence of of mysticism in kind of the modern context so I wanted to to go there yeah yeah well first off I I agree with your theory I okay. think that that is spot on I've increasingly come to look at tarot as something like a SaaS product like a software as a service but it's analog. It's in the form of a deck of cards rather than a form of software that's on a device. Because, you know, there's creative agencies out there that use these free association software to help them basically put a list of words together and then associate them in ways that they wouldn't actually come up with in a brainstorm because of their own biases. And in some of my training as a musician in songwriting class, we would write down lists of words and then try to force every different association because when you're talking about smelling colors, for example, it mm. creates this third thing that becomes very, very enrapturing. And it's, it's an amazing, amazing tool for the creative process. But especially coming from our conversation about Randonautica into this I, I strongly feel that it's becoming and will continue to become more important for us to invite synchronicity into our lives because synchronicity is a real aspect of what is going on. 
And it's something that, I mean, first off, can just fill you with wonder and make your day, make your year, make it feel meaningful. But in my experience, the more space that I leave for synchronicities, the, the, the more profound some of the ideas I can work with become. It's almost like working with, um, with a cloud computer rather than a local hard drive because you're basically offboarding some of your thinking into whatever is working around you in the universe. So let's say that that is total randomness and that there's no intelligence at all. When you're pulling out a card, then exactly as you said, going through the process of having to define what is the question that you want to ask and being confronted with something that is usually not the answer you want to see is Mm -hmm. going to help you arrive to that third thing that is probably going to be a meaningful idea That is going to serve your purposes because at a minimum, our minds are meaning-making machines. We are incredible at creating patterns where there are none. There's this concept called aleatoricism, which is about seeing pattern and randomness. But that pattern exists if we see it and it firms up if we can share that pattern with another. And then the more people see that pattern in a random signal, the more actualized it becomes. And so this level of skill of being able to be comfortable with randomness, to invite synchronicity, uh, is extremely valuable for anybody that works in a creative field, anybody that works in a strategy field, especially as it relates to things like brands, especially as it relates to you know data and insights, looking for patterns in the signal there. And it's just a matter of having discernment of being able to sit with something as correlation and not causation and have that be enough to work with. Hmm. So you also asked about the resurgence of, of mysticism. And I think that the, the rise of tarot as a, as a product, as a talking point for people, I think is very much on the heels of that. You see that quite a bit with astrology and crystals and meditation, yoga, all of these things. And to start from the question of why now, I think it's pretty clear that people are looking for answers <laughs> in terms of what is going on right now and are willing to try anything. But I think also that is bolstered by this increasing distrust in the institutions and authorities that we've relied on for the last few decades. So there's this return um, to a lot of the systems that, that came about right before the Enlightenment, right before the scientific Enlightenment, because that's when industrialism and the modern era really started to be seeded. And so we're kind of going back a few steps in the labyrinth of human history and picking up some things that we left off to to see on an individual and collective level, is there some value here that we can derive? So we're re-exploring these different modes of thought. And I think that that is a healthy thing if it's done in the right spirit and the right frame of mind. And if it is done in a way that doesn't try to conflate what we find in these subjective spiritual realms with the way we use tools in the objective scientific realms. And so I think that the way that you describe this process with the tarot for yourself, turning over these cards and reflecting on them on a day-to-day basis, that as a practice for you is extraordinarily healthy because you're having a conversation with your own subconscious and whatever lurks behind that and whatever you believe lurks behind that is up to you. It goes too far when you've got a CEO of a company who says, I turned over the golden egg card today, so we're going to pivot and become something <laughs> completely different. And uh, I, I, I think it's about finding the right, the right places for these things because at the same time, if a CEO of a company relies too heavily on the data and makes a pivot, then there's a falseness to that strategy as well. So we're in a place right now where we're, we're revisiting the way in which we make decisions, the systems, the authorities, the institutions that we trust, because we're in the process of creating something new and something exciting. And it's not a this or that kind of change. 
that's very reflective of what we're moving away from. I talk about that sometimes. I call it polarity thinking, the idea of whether or not something is right or wrong, true or false. We're shifting into archetypal thinking, which is more about story and character. And this is something that you see very, very much in branding campaigns and political campaigns in this post-truth world that we live in. It's less about the facts and more about the essence. And it's interesting to notice that that corresponds with a movement from binary computing to quantum computing, right? From zero or one into zero to one and all the gradients along that way. And so it's about making room for the meaning behind the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are and about what we're embedded in that become functional in their own way alongside the way that polarity thinking has enabled us to be objective about the world around us. <laughs> there's, there's so much there. Um, thanks for that reflection. There's so much there. I, um, I think about synchronicities in, in, in this podcast, you know, particularly, and I recently had on a guest, well, two guests that are relevant to this. The first, um, Lloyd Danzig is, uh, a machine learning expert and he focuses on sports betting, but we talked a lot about the way that data and information, um, is kind of in its, in and of itself, a tool. And then that tool can be used to, to project whatever narrative seems to serve, you know, the holder of that data. And so it's the bridge, as you mentioned, between kind of the objective collection of information and then the subjective meaning that gets placed behind it. And that's super interesting uh, as a synchronicity here. And then my previous guest, uh, Daniel Grauer, who came on the show, wrote a book called Psychedelic Consciousness. And his his thought, we talked a lot about kind of Cartesian thinking and how, you know, psychedelics moved out of, you know, out of global awareness, except in, in South America, where they, they then became kind of like hidden. Um, when kind of Descartes started with, you know, cogito ergo sum, and it became this, the only thing that I can prove is I think therefore I am and therefore everything outside of me is the other. And of course, that moved, you know, Newton took some of the mathematical principles that Descartes was developing, and developed this objective mathematical framework of the world around us and the way the universe works. And that's served us and it's taken us to where we are today. And then now, and now we've kind of seen almost like the limitations of, of that model. Um, and I love how you, you drew in um, quantum computing and where we are <laughs> moving from kind of this binary, you know, zero or one, either or to, you know, can we hold the full spectrum um, of meaning uh, without without rejecting one view and kind of integrate, integrate the whole. And I think, you know, what I, an assumption that I'm making or a conclusion that I'm drawing and speaking to you is that your superpower is this, is being this bridge or one of your superpowers. And I think that that that's reflected in your role, like how, how much, and, and you don't need to answer this question right away because there's so many interesting paths we could take, but like how much of the work that you do is at Reddit um, and previously at Spin is kind of like is acting as that bridge to kind of find the patterns that are out there that are emerging um, and connect and connect the dots between those patterns, whether it be a brand to a particular you know a particular page or something entirely different. Hmm. Well, fundamentally, all of it. <laughs> yeah. But you know, there <laughs> there there are certain skills that you know have been have been learned and, and shaped and deployed that are, are a bit more pragmatic. But, you know, you talk about Descartes as that flashpoint of separation when, you know, we started looking at mankind as separate from nature as this thing that wasn't enmeshed or embedded into the, uh, the, the, the cosmos. And that is kind of the core principle behind the modern world, the sense that when we want to experience or do anything, we, we do it through separation, right? We, we, we create devices to help us interface with the world. And I, I think the foundation of my process came from my upbringing with my father being, um, you know, so involved in the Renzai Zen order 
and some of the time that I, I spent at those, those monasteries. And, and what is Renzai Zen? Renzai Zen, it is essentially the version of Zen meditation that was at the core of the samurai practice, the warrior practice. It's eyes open. It's very alert. And it's about dropping into a state of intense discernment. And so it's about being an external warrior in terms of being comfortable with one's own mortality and being highly focused and alert in action, but also being an internal warrior in terms of being able to cut through delusion and transcend different layers of, of who we are. And so that started for me, he would be away for at least a week at a time. Uh, and, you know, on these retreats where they were, they were meditating for this, this entire time and not saying anything. And me and my musician friends were, would come in and we would play, we'd improvise some music, basically just play some free jazz in the, the dojos to help slowly bring them back into, uh, the, the, the world. And, um, and that was um, a really interesting bridge that that music, right, improvisation would be that bridge. Um, so you, you kind of use that phrase before being a bridge, and maybe that's that's a part of, of what's at work here. But the foundation is I had a lot of opportunities to, to sit with the masters and do these um, one-on-ones, these beautiful moments. I'm just sitting next to a lake you know, at sunset with this Zen master, both of us cross-legged, they're across from me. It's totally silent, just the birds. And they look me dead in the eyes and they say, who are you? Like I'm Will. And they're just like, who are you? And they just keep going until (laughs) they (laughs) deconstructed me down to understanding uh, that I'm nothing. And so then there's a layer underneath being nothing, which is being no thing. And so that, that, experience brought me to a place where I became very, very comfortable with the idea of non-existence. And then the idea that this identity, this thing that I think I am is really all of these just these different cultural currents that I just pick up from the media that I consume and the friends and the conversations that I have. All of it is constructed, but the, the awareness that's underneath it is primary. The identity doesn't exist at all. It's the same thing as brands. Brands borrow their identity from all of the different cultural currents that they're tapping into. Underneath it, there's no primary existence. And so in the effort of coming up with content or a marketing campaign for a brand or coming up with a song or a creation as an artist, uh, there's this freedom to actually look at, okay, what is moving through our space that actually is high energy that we can begin to actually play with that isn't weighted down by this sense of obligation in terms of who we think we are or what we're trying to be? Because there's this ever-present tension between our past and our future when we sit in the present. And so the brainstorming process that I, I go into when, whenever it's a brand that's asking me, you know, what should we do to access this audience or what should we do, you know, at this moment in time, I take my seat in that place of nothingness and then observe the phenomenology and ask, who are you? Why is this here? And then stack things on top. And then it becomes pretty clear, okay, well, regardless of the past, here is what is present now, and here is what is in the future, and here is how we can tap into it. And then the rest of the work becomes finding a way to ground that process in something that somebody in the advertising industry is going to take seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's, uh, that's part of being the bridge, right, is finding, finding that grounding. I, um, yeah, I, I, now that you mentioned Zen, I was I was actually just I've been listening to um, the obstacle is the way, and mm-hmm. uh, I believe there's there's a chapter on kind of on being in the present, which describes some a a specific samurai master who 
was so proficient because he was able to discern between what actually is kind of like the objective of of what is occurring um versus the the kind of subjective that he projected on top of it and one of the kind of you know weak points in a battle is try is applying a subjective judgment on top of what's actually happening it takes away from one's capacity to observe and react to you know mm-hmm. to an enemy let's say in 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 a sword fight um which is it's it's cool how how that comes together i um i guess you know i'm i'm feeling compelled to ask like how do you how do you for yourself personally bridge um these kind of deeper metaphysical questions with your and you mentioned it briefly in kind of the work that you're doing with brands but how do you how do you bridge the deeper metaphysical questions and observations that you're making with a day-to-day life you know in working in the technology industry or working at reddit i learned to meet people where they're at you know it's very rare that i've been able to go down to this depth of conversation especially you know in an interview but uh that's where you're at and so we can go there and it's, it's the appropriate place to be. I don't need to be recounting my experiences in Zendos with CMOs of telecoms. That's not something that they're interested in. They're interested in the data. They're interested in the relevance of different audiences. They're interested in certain trends and conversation and insights they can glean about things like 5G connectivity esports and things like that. And I take my seat and I focus on the questions that they're asking. And so it's, it's, it's very, very case by case. But I I do find that when you peel back layers and go a little bit deeper, everybody that's really in, in a, in a seat of influence in these brands, they tend to get excited when you go deeper into these sort of archetypal depths, because it, it's what brought them there in the first place. Nobody, nobody wants to spend all of their days in marketing talking about ad specs and media plans. That's a big part of the job, of course. It's measurement, it's results, it's um, checking our work. But the job that I have a lot of the time is inspiration and excitement. And so I just start by meeting people where they're at, what their challenges are, and improvising with them and, you know, asking questions together in terms of what is it that we're trying to figure out. Sometimes the answer spits out and it's 42. (laughs) And then we have to figure out what's the right question. (laughs) Oh, wow. um, So I want to turn to to Reddit briefly because... um, you know, to this point around narrative um, and culture and how, how we, you know, almost it's, it's a separate, it's almost like a different layer. It, it can be kind of the subtext behind everything. Reddit has, you know, historically been this platform where it seems culture emerges through Reddit and then has been later adopted on other platforms and narratives are, are driven through Reddit. I'm thinking, you know, an example that comes to mind is I actually have worked with Elliot Tabelli at, um, at Jerry media. And he of course created the fuck Jerry Instagram account, which was one of the first kind of like meme content accounts on Instagram. And if you look back at kind of his history, a lot of what he was pulling was coming from Reddit. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it just got replatformed into Instagram. And then when Instagram become this became this kind of like massive social sharing platform, his account took off. And, you know, what he posted was very much in, in the zeitgeist. I guess it's not so much a question, but just really like what are what are your thoughts around the power of a platform like Reddit to drive cultural narratives and subtext? And then following on that. Uh, I had a note to chat about Reddit's campaign to get out and vote right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, you know, in your in your capacity as a bridge, you can help me kind of bridge those two thoughts. Yeah. So Reddit is a river and meme marketers are fishing on that river. 
with everything that's coming downstream, you get a meme very early and that can be a format or it can be a new kind of capture from a piece of pop art, you know, film or a music video, or it can be some like language. That, like that Leonardo DiCaprio image from Django that seems to be the meme, everybody's that's right. favorite meme all of a sudden. That's right. So you would define that face as a, as a medoid which is a constituent part of a meme that defines a cluster of memes as a group of different memes. And so there's, there's a bit of art and science in terms of figuring out when a meme is going to, to catch. And that's why I love the, uh, the NASDAQ community on Reddit, which is basically um, a bunch of memers that treat memes like stocks. And they just basically try to call you know, which ones are going to be influential and, and lasting and which ones are just going to be flashes in the pan. That's so incredible. I've never heard of NASDAQ. I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm going on NASDAQ. Right it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. So, but I, I have to say, like, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at where memes are at in the world of marketing right now, because I genuinely thought that memes overall had kind of run their course and we're going to subside into something a little bit more academic or sober. But I think it was the, the trigger point was maybe the Bloomberg campaign when they started investing deeply in memes. And, and so now, now here we are. And, and Jerry was way, way ahead of his time. So yes, I would describe that as uh, fishing on the river of Reddit for these these memes that basically swim by and um, then basically just kind of taking them downhill to market and and selling them. There's other ways to build a business off of of Reddit as a river. You can set up a mill. You can you can basically access the the energy of that current and you can use that to uh, to sell your own products, to build your own audiences, to um, you know create awareness of your business or whatnot. And that's effectively what the creative strategy team uh, does at Reddit, the, the team that, that I manage, is uh, you know we define if a partner that we work with wants to be uh, a fisher or if they want to set up a mill or if they want to do something different. Um, and that's, that's speaking in, in a lot of metaphors, but essentially... It, it, it works because Reddit is, is ever-changing. The content is ever-changing, but the, <clears throat> the form generally remains the same. And that's what makes it unique versus other social media is there isn't really this, this structure, this framework on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram that you have on Reddit, which is the subreddit structure, the communities. So I just talked about NASDAQ. That is a structure that formed, that's got millions of people that are there every day going to this particular bend in the river, right? Or uh, randonauts, you know, we talked about there being 150,000 people. The content is always changing, but the people remain and the context of that space remains. And that is powered by the voting. It's, it's the voting, it can, can really be looked at from um, an analytics standpoint as the, the strength of the current on that river. The more votes there are, the higher the velocity of the content that is there, or the more posts, the more comments. And what, what Reddit really has going forward in the voting sense that is unique is not just the upvote, but the downvote as well which adds this dimensionality to the content, but also gives people recourse to, to, to care. Because if you're in the NASDAQ community, you're downvoting a meme, you're saying this is not up to the standard of the content in this subreddit that I care about. Mm. That's a very, very sacred act. It's like picking Where, up a whereas piece of litter. The, the opportunity to downvote on other platforms, it's almost like this apathy gets created. I feel it does. Yeah, it, it creates some apathy. And it also, it's motivated by only wanting to present a rosy picture. It's, yes. um, it's, it's, it's the yin without the yang, right? Or the yang without the yin. In the sense that, you know, if you're a user, then these platforms want to 
give you a story about how everybody likes everything that you're saying. They don't want to tell you that people don't like what you're saying. If you're an advertiser, even more so. In the case of the downvote, it's incredibly valuable in terms of maintaining the potency of the attention that is given. Because when something is voted to the top of Reddit, you know it's good because it persevered through those downvotes. And if you're a creator or if you're a marketer, that's also the same system that's going to tell you when what you're putting out there is really going to resonate beyond just this community on Reddit that you're trying it out in, but in the world at large. We use that quite a bit. Mm. And and the difference, so Reddit, I mean, just for, for my own edification, you know, Reddit is not is not algorithm driven. It's purely driven by the community up and down voting. Is that is that accurate? That's correct. It's very human powered. So the the upvotes and the downvotes, there's a there's a front page, let's call it a lightweight algorithm that helps um, you know sort from all of the different communities the most upvoted content across each of them. And then in each community itself, you have its own front page. And it's all driven by upvotes and downvotes. And so there's no, is there a recommendation engine in the way that there is a recommendation engine behind Facebook or Instagram or Google that is creating this kind of like digital avatar of the user to, to present them with content that they would likely find the most interesting? There is not. Everybody sees the same front page. That's, that's awesome. And, and that brings me to, well, I, I think that's awesome. I guess that's, that's a subjective view, um, but it does bring me, and I think you'll agree based on a post that I saw you, you um, make on LinkedIn about your Instagram use. And uh, I, I'd love if you could maybe, you know, maybe touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, when the algorithms are, are so heavy, it, it kind of changes the way that we voice ourselves to, to get more engagement. And that's the same thing when it, when it comes to Reddit, but it's, it's human powered, not algorithm powered. Hmm. And so I, I had come to notice on really on LinkedIn in particular, we absolutely see this on Instagram, that there was this emergence of this boilerplate posting style in terms of oh, use yes. of... Okay, sorry. I was thinking... I thought it was Instagram, but now I, I recall it was uh, <laughs> the three emojis mm-hmm. <laughs> headline. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And the, the motivators behind those choices were algorithmic, not human. It wasn't because it read better per se, um, you know, though, though perhaps... The, the algorithm recognized that people engaged with that format to a certain degree, but then it became a feedback loop and began to really recognize that. But um, people started reshaping the stories that they selected um, and, and the, the, the formats in which they presented them to the degree that it brought me back to that place of non-existence. Is that you? Is that really the human that is posting or is that what the algorithm is looking for? And if that's the case, what was the point of you even posting it in the first place? If people like it, they're not liking you, they're liking more of the algorithm. And that really, really troubled me. And, um, you know, it's, it's not that, it's, it's not that Reddit doesn't do that because my experience before working at Reddit, I've been a user on the platform for 10 years, uh, was a, a huge lesson in, in creating content, being a musician, an incessant self-promoter. And I was coming to Reddit communities and just basically saying, listen to my music, watch my music video, give me attention, me, 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 please. And, <laughs> and that, wow, that, we have to go in there because that I, I struggle, I struggle with that balance as a podcaster as well. Okay. Like okay. speaking with people like you, you know, gaining such wonderful insights and then just struggling to take the next step of like, this is my show. Like, listen to this. Let's do mm-hmm. it. You know, and, and promoting it. There's that. There's a balance there. But anyways, I, I want you to finish your thought as well. Sure. So what ended up happening is that self promotional tech didn't work, and this was this was around like 2009. So it was also you know a time where a lot of this kind of Zen exploration that we talked about earlier was was really picking up for me. I got really into Alan Watts at the time. Yeah, out of your mind. There was, the mm-hmm. best audiobook ever. Yeah, and also just beautiful voice. Identifies as a spiritual entertainer, and that nails it because 
Just, mm-hmm. I, I literally was listening. I listened to about 13 hours of his lectures and I ended so. up splicing together um, his lectures into a song that I had written. And at that same time, there were a number of different subreddits that were a part of that journey of discovering Alan Watts and talking about Alan Watts and digging into it. And then I got to a point where I had this finished creation, this finished product. And I went to those communities. I said, hey, everyone, I'm a musician. I, I love what we've been talking about with Alan Watts. Here's a music video that I made based off of all these ideas that we've been talking about right to the front page like five times. And I, mm. still, I still get about like 30,000 streams a month on that song without any promotion because of front paging on Reddit back then with such deep buy-in from these communities. And that was the aha moment for me, which was that I, I learned that it's better to create in service to a community than to ask for attention for your creations from a community. And rather than saying, I'm a musician, listen to me, I said, I'm a musician and I did this for us. And the response was, was really magnificent. And that's really at its core, the playbook of what I recommend for brands is that idea of, of being at service. But in the context of this conversation about how these algorithms affect the way that we post, what I think is really important to call out there is that my creativity, my posting in that Alan Watson Reddit example was shaped by humans, directly shaped by humans. Whereas the behaviors that I'm seeing on a lot of social platforms right now that are are heavy on these algorithms, your behaviors are shaped by an algorithm. And there's further separation from the humans on either side that feels to me like some kind of violation of the sort of discourse we should be having with each other. And ultimately serves the goals of an algorithm that doesn't know how to measure the qualitative stuff, the attention, the, the feelings that, that, that people have. And so I, I get that, that post was about being very troubled about seeing how quickly these boilerplate stories and ways of telling them were, were emerging. And, and I just wanted to use that template to, to call it out. And it, it, it caught the, the post caught, I was disparaging the very template that I was using, but the template got picked up by the algorithm. And therein lies the, uh, I guess, the koan of it, the riddle of it. There's a lot there. And there's not a lot of time. I feel pressed for time. I would love to do um, another episode with you one day. Sure. Um, the algorithm kind of, kind of driving behavior I wanted to speak to that, actually. You know, there's something that I find on Instagram to be, um, and I know you were just speaking about LinkedIn, but, and even now TikTok, I guess, is another example of of that, where Instagram was all about these kind of like polished, you know, images of oneself, where you're going, the beautiful landscape, the beautiful imagery, you know, the the face tune, um, you know, beautiful body, face, whatever. And that emerged and then there was this kind of like counter emergence what i what i would describe as performative vulnerability and maybe that's just for me been more in my feed because of the types of questions that i'm asking but where you know this almost like false sense of openness it, it was like first it was like look at me look at me i'm beautiful i'm incredible i'm living a fabulous life and there's still plenty of that but then there's also this look at me look at me you know i'm raw i'm real i'm this but there's almost an element of when that gets filtered through the algorithm or the lens of, of the platform, it loses its meaning. It loses its connection to what the potential, you know, and you can almost see the intention mm-hmm. um, coming through on that. And also now performative activism, I think, is another is another area that's really thriving on on Instagram. Um, that is a, a great observation. Uh, it, it is important to call out that something has shifted, that this, this notion of Instagram being a place for polish was very true a couple of years ago, but it's not true right now. And it, like everything else, has, has morphed to these new trends that are taking hold today. And I think that the, 
what, what I'm seeing happening now across a lot of different platforms as it relates to performative activism and many, many different other things is that the rate of sharing is at a blistering pace right now. And, and the, the stories product is the reason why. And what I see is that the, to, to zero in on, on, on Instagram, for example, you have the search tab that algorithmically presents you with a bunch of different reels or posts or stories that are relevant to your interests. I see a lot of people in my feed that troll that tab for content to drop into their stories. And they could be an activist, they could be a marketing thought leader, they could be a millennial mystic, and they're basically seeing some image, typically that has a quote or some kind of kernel of wisdom, and too quickly they are resharing it into their stories and creating this sequence of big hits that move these things along and keep people engaged and keeping them at the front of that story queue and there's not enough discernment in terms of the merit of that content, whatever it is. Again, if it's about an, uh, a political or a social issue. I think Black, Blackout Tuesday would be like the perfect example of that when that happened and everyone started posting a black box and then realizing, oh, this is having the counter effect of what that movement was supposed to be about. A great example of the, the need for discernment and the value of a slower cycle sometimes. Um, mm. And so I think that it's something for us all to be, to be really, really cautious about is, is recognizing that many, many different social platforms are built off of the idea of motivating us to share things quickly and regularly. But oftentimes discourse requires taking a step back and listening before you speak and synthesizing information into something that is genuinely how we feel. So you look at everything happening in 2020 and the, the, the spread, the rate of the spread of fake news, it's spreading so quickly because that discernment isn't there because people are feeling provoked emotionally because of the serotonin or the adrenaline, mm. or even the dopamine hit that they get from seeing and sharing that image. But we're not compelled as users to stop, think, and consider before we share those because that action is going to diminish our followings. It's going to diminish the level of engagement that we get on our content. And we are all conditioned to consider that a failure right now. Yeah, I love that thought. I, it brings me to kind of imagining a world uh, in the future where let's say you have a pocket AI or, you know, a, a device or a part, something that is more kind of like user aligned, that's there to kind of protect your interest. Maybe it, it comes, you know, it comes up with you from a young age. And one use I could see is like a forced delay between, it's almost like the the space between input and reaction but having a tool that that actually engages with with the platform to mm -hmm. to create that space for you because we're so we're so driven to you know to to react on these platforms that it would be nice to have to have a little bit more um a little bit more space there which i I have I, these I have these friends that have uh, coded something that is very um cheekily named spiritual bro <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh it's kind of like it's like grammarly but a little bit more for what you're describing in terms of when you're typing up a, an email or a social post it it kind of like does that check-in with you and it and it begins to like recognize some of your patterns and uh sort of kind of guides you towards you know the the i, I guess it's algorithms version of your your highest self. I think that you're right that that's coming. I think that that's going to like everything else, you know, all, all solutions, create problems, create solutions, create problems, create solutions, create problems. Um, but we are, we're headed there. Yeah. To the, to that point, actually, this is a great, a great bridge to, um, to Reddit's decision, uh, to remove, um, I think 8,000, uh, subreddits that were flagged for hate speech 
And I know there's, you know, company policy and, and these are maybe hard questions to, to, to speak about on a platform like this, but, um, you know, these are, these are hard questions, the idea of platform censorship and what is, what is acceptable and what is not. And the reason I, well, one thing that comes to mind is a comment you made earlier about kind of the, we're with the rose colored lens through some platforms, we're losing the other side. We're losing the shadow, right? There's the light and the shadow. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I'm, I'm my own loaded bias is coming here in that I see, I see the importance of censoring this content and no one would, like most people would actually probably say, Mark, you're crazy that you wouldn't want that to happen. But then I also just imagine it going deeper underground rather than being lifted to the surface to say, this is the shadow, this is real, this is all here. And this is part of the human experience right now, the collective, and it needs to be addressed. Um, and I guess that's exactly what Reddit did was address it, but I'm just in my own loaded way, there is a question there. And the question is kind of, what is your feeling? What is your stance on, uh, the removal of these, these hateful subreddits? Well, Reddit has always been very clear about looking at the difference between behavior and ideas and when it comes to policing communities, it's always about behavior. And we're in a time right now where we're not even able as a culture to have the discourse that we need to have because we're struggling with decency. And that goes all the way to the top, to our leaders. There isn't room for discourse because of the indecency of the way in which people are approaching conversations. And so you talk about the importance of the shadow. You can't repress the shadow. It's going to come up in one way or another. When the, the shadow side of, of how people feel informs their behavior, then that is where there is a need for correction anywhere because it's not enabling the appropriate discourse to get to that emergent shared truth that moves us all forward. Reddit is a platform for community and conversation, and that is what Reddit is protecting at all times, is the ability for community to thrive and for conversation to happen so that we can better understand each other. And so the, the, what I'm hearing is the kind of the factor to look at in considering um, the removal of a subreddit is the the behavior of the participants, not set, not necessarily the ideas that those participants espouse. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the behaviors uh, supersede the ideas. Behaviors like targeting a specific group and mm-hmm. taking a specific kind of uh, action to disrupt that group's ability to to have community, have conversation. You know these. Um, uh, uh, witch hunts or or brigades are not in good faith when it comes to to discourse, and that's something that is uh, present regardless of the idea that people carry. There's um, you know certain etiquette across the entire internet. Don't don't dox people, right? Don't share personal information because that's not relevant to the conversation. And so there, there are some behaviors that on a, on a platform level are not allowed on Reddit. And there are some behaviors that on a community level aren't allowed inside of that community according to the rules that those moderators have set. And those moderators need to be able to easily and healthily enforce those rules in their space. And if somebody's trying to disrupt that, then that's also problematic. I want to pivot because we're running out of time here. I wanted to pivot to um, Gen Z and millennial mental health, which yeah. is you know, a subject that is really close to my heart and one of the reasons why I started this podcast in the first place. Um, can you speak to me about Project Healthy Minds uh, and why you got involved there? Sure, because mental health is a very urgent and primary issue right now. And what Project Healthy Minds does very, very well, very, very smart people that are behind it, 
And they're very clear about objective number one, which is destigmatize the conversation. Mm. And there's a long way that we've come as a culture in terms of destigmatizing mental health, but we've got a long way to go. And it's, it's twofold. On one level, it's about making it okay for somebody to say, I'm not okay right now, because we all go through that. But then also connecting that with valuing our mental health to the degree of our performance to say, I need to work on my mental health because it's going to help me be better than I am now, no matter where you are. You're always on that spectrum, no matter what. If you're stuck in bed and you can't get out and you can't start your day, you're on the same spectrum as when you're presenting in front of 10,000 people and you walk off and you know, I could have done that better. I'm going to do that better next time. Same journey. And people really ought to be empowered to feel that they're on that path no matter where they stand. There's this kind of idea that if you're not well, then you're, you're out of the game. Absolutely not. I took a week off last week because I was not okay. Because the burnout, it's real. And I was very open about that with my team. And um, that's celebrated culturally at Reddit, which is really nice, is sure, we need you at your best. And I found that it really also wasn't about getting back to normal, but taking that time enabled me to have some experiences that have given me a perspective and a space in my heart and in my mind that are going to help me be a better leader and manager and, and contributor after the fact. So I really like what Project Healthy Minds has already put together, what they have coming, but, but most of all, their, their perspective on it. They, they are they're doing a really, really wonderful job on the branding front in terms of talking about mental health in a way that um, is polished, right? That, that is something that, that belongs uh, in, in any conversation. Yeah, and I was that's that's wonderful. I was thinking about that earlier, actually. Uh, you know, personally, I, I cycle, and I think many people do. You know, like there's certain couple of week periods or even a couple of month periods where it's just a low, and there's really not much that can be done about it. And I think, and that's part of the value of experience. You know, 32 years of living, you just kind of start to recognize your own patterns and say, oh, this is part of my process. Like, that's right. right now I'm I'm not pushing forward aggressively as I am uh, other days on certain goals but I I actually need this just as much as I need those kind of packed days as well. Certainly and and you know to to bring it full circle here uh, a good mental health practice helps you get underneath the different ideas and identities that you think are yours that weigh you down and empowers you to select who you want to be and what you want to think on a daily basis. And that's the way things really ought to be. And that's the way that we're headed. We just need to share with each other the tools that we use to get there. Well, Will, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. This was awesome. Uh, yeah. Really, really great to chat with you. A lot of ground covered. Um, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Uh, before before you go, is there anything else that you would like to kind of share uh, with the listeners? Anything I would like to share with the listeners? Um, have a morning practice before you pick up your phone. <laughs> <laughs> if they're listening to this, I hope they have that by this point because yeah. that's certainly something that uh, – that I've spoken about and not something that I always practice either. <laughs> no, and that's okay. I don't always practice it myself. Um, but I, I do recognize the difference between when I, when I, you know, look at my phone first thing versus when I don't. Um, but the, uh, the point is discernment and to know what's yours that's bouncing around in your head and what's an algorithms. Awesome. Thank you so much, Will. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Hello, Lookup listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. Going forward, we'll be releasing new episodes of Lookup every Wednesday morning, Eastern time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, 
please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media. My handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or you can subscribe to the Look Up Weekly newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, for those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions, which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in, and I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have. <laughs>